Luke chapter 16. I want to move as quickly as I can. We're going to talk about money. Oh, great. We're in like week eight, I think. First of all, didn't John Bowling do a great job last week? Somebody has said that I only get older, worse looking, worse preachers to me to fill in so that I'll look good, sound good. And I didn't do any of those three last week. All right. So you, you're done. You never get to do that again. All right. He did a great job talking about marriage, didn't he? Amen. Ebony, thank you for straightening him out on all that. Letting him, giving him those notes. I appreciate that. All right. But today we're continuing in our series about uh, how to make a great family. Family matters. And one of the most contentious things, one of the most divisive, one of the most powerful tools the enemy uses against families is money. You understand that? Number one thing couples fight about is money. And so let me give you some things. We're going to do two weeks on this. I'm going to give you just a real quick theological review this morning, and then next week we'll talk about some practice. Let me just tell you this, first of all, for those of you that are guests, maybe once a year I talk about money. And it's never about the giving. Uh, I never make a strong offering appeal. Uh, I believe in it. My wife and I have 36 plus years, seven years wonderful almost seems like 30 minutes it's been 37 years we've always been tithers and the lord has always blessed us but that's not what this is about this morning this isn't a tithing sermon i just want to talk to you about the role that money has in our lives and where it's supposed to be i want to start in luke 16 i want to talk to you this morning about breaking the spirit of mammon luke 16 beginning in verse 9 jesus says and i say to you make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Father... Lord, with pure heart and clean hands, let this come forth today. Lord, let us, let us understand uh, the hold or the blessing that money can be in our lives. Holy Spirit, you can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, who's mammon in this scripture? Kind of a word, kind of a weird word. Mammon is only used four times in the scriptures, three times here, and once in the book of Matthew. Let me give you a real quick history. Mammon is an Arabic word. It comes from the Arabic language, meaning riches or wealth. It was the, it, from that, the Syrians took that and developed a god that they called Mammon. And it was Mammon that you prayed to when you needed more money. So it's that context that Jesus is addressing. From that, the Babylonians took that and they used it. They used the word Mammon in their language. And if you said the word Mammon, it ultimately came to be known or to be understood as something that was sown in confusion it was crazy it didn't didn't do what it was supposed to do and it's that same thought that we read about in genesis 12 
If you've not ever heard, the people of God decided to build a tower, a great big tower. It wasn't the fact that they were trying to build something that was a problem to God. It was why they wanted to build it. And it was the why that then took on this meaning. Because the why was because they began to build this tower and their idea was to build it bigger and taller than anything that had ever been built. And in so doing, they, they actually made this statement. We'll build this tower and people will think us, it'll be so great that people will think us to be gods. And it became such a focal point of who they were that they forgot about who God was and who they were became what was the most important. It's that idea that you and I are the most important thing that Jesus is talking about when he uses the word mammon. And this idea that there is a statement of who we are and there's a statement of who we are coming from what we have and what we can do rather than who we serve that identifies who we are. It is a, out of this system comes the false god mammon. And it's a spirit. Not, not a spirit in that, I don't know that I would call it like a demonic spirit, like a fallen angel, but there is a spirit, there's a philosophical viewpoint about what money is that begins to fill people's hearts and begins to fill their minds, and Jesus warns us against letting that spirit be the thing that controls your life. Money either has the spirit of mammon on it, and you understand how I use that word now, or it has the spirit of God. There is no, in the scriptures, no, there's no in-between. People either commit their life to God or they commit it to mammon. The source of their strength, the source of their identity, the source of their well-being, the source of their power, the source of their prestige, their identity is all about what they have and what they can do because of what they have and who they are because of what they have rather than the thing that identifies who they are being the God that they serve. So let me ask you a simple question. How is it for you? What are you pursuing? What do you want people to know about you? What's the first thing that you want them to know? Man, that guy, that dude is driving a fine automobile. Is that it? Is that what identifies you? Ooh, look at the size of their house. Look at the, man, look at the clothes on that guy. Look at the jewelry. Is that your identity? Because that's what Jesus is speaking about. You can't serve that idea and the idea of having God first. You're going to serve one and despise the other. You can't serve them both. Does that mean that? Money's all bad. No, we'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus did say, you can't serve God in mammon. It's the only thing in all of the scriptures that Jesus said, you could not serve God as well as that thing. Specifically, he said that. You can't have that idea and serve God at the same time. Mammon is in direct contrast to the Spirit of God. It is greed and selfishness rather than generosity and selflessness. Mammon gets servants. It, it, it attracts people by, by the way that it appeals to our flesh. Mammon says some things. Mammon says, buy and sell. Amass for yourself a kingdom and a reputation because of your ability to buy and sell. Jesus says, make yourself a reputation because of what you give and what you receive. Mammon says, cheat and steal. Jesus says, sow and reap. Mammon says, be selfish. God says, be generous. Mammon says, make it all about yourself. God says, make it all about others. So which is it? Mammon tries to insulate us from life's problems. Watch this. Have you ever said to yourself, you know what? If I had more money, I wouldn't have so many problems. Or how about this one? I'd be happier if I had more money. 
I'd have an easier life if I just had more money. Trust me, it tries to become the source of what you have. I love what uh, Mark Cuban said several years ago when the lottery got up to like a, almost a billion dollars and people were buying lottery tickets. And they aired, USA Today ran an article, an interview they did with him several years before where it had gotten, and he, he was asked, what should you do if you won, if you, somebody wins the $900 million, what should they do? I love his first piece of advice. He said, first of all, none of your relatives needs a million dollars. I was like, man, I was hoping one of my relatives would win. Give me a million, all right? But then he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, if you weren't happy before you won the lottery, you're not going to be happy afterwards. This is a billionaire talking. He said, if you weren't happy before you had money, you're not going to be happy afterwards. And then I really liked what he said. He said, however, if you were happy before, you're going to be really happy now. <laughs> Amen? So what is that? To me, if you, if you didn't have God in your life before, having money is not going to suddenly bring peace and joy and, and tranquility to your life. But if you did have God and God blesses you and you live your life according to his principles, there is great joy. You don't have to be a pauper to serve the Lord, but you got to put the Lord first. Say amen. amen. So what do we do with that? What's, what's it trying to do? Mammon says to you, if you had more money, you'd, have, you'd be identified better. You'd have more significance. You'd have more independence. You'd have more power. You'd have more freedom. You could live where you want to live. You could go where you want to go. You could do whatever you want to do. That's what Mammon says. But the Lord says, why don't you live where I want you to live? Why don't you go where I want you to go and do what I want you to do? See what Mammon does? Pushes God out. Do what you want. Have what you want. How about just being obedient to the plan of God and doing what he says do? Amen? How many of you believe in the biblical report in the book of Revelation that one day there'll be a literal figure on the earth called the Antichrist? How many of you believe that? How many of you have heard of that, first of all? All right? That there'll rise a world leader one day who will have an answer to all the problems of the world and the world will ensconce him as sort of king of the earth and he will be the devil's guy. The Bible talks about that, by the way. First of all, the world's got to be in a real mess before that guy comes on with a solution. So, hey, we may be moving in the right direction. But it's interesting how the Bible says the Antichrist will rule, the power that he will have, how he will do what he's going to do. The Scripture says he will rule through the spirit of mammon. He'll use people's desire for stuff to control them. Listen to Revelation chapter 8. It says the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. This is in the end times. If you don't understand what Babylon is, it's a world system. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil. Listen to this list. Fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. I don't think this is talking about the slave trade. They're not buying 
It's talking about the fact that people sell up, they'll sell their soul in order to have stuff. That's the world so many are living in today. And if that's the way your family is living, in the constant pursuit of stuff, money as an identifier, things as a statement of your worth, you are destined to be peaceless, joyless, with, without any real satisfaction. That's the spirit that Antichrist rules through. What is it that's supposed to give us satisfaction? Where are we supposed to? Because how, how many of you pay for rent or a mortgage? Anybody? Anybody else have to pay? Rick, you guys have a light bill? I got a light bill every month. It keeps coming. Get out of that shower. <laughs> and if you say that, turn that water off. I have become my aunt. I was raised by an aunt and uncle. I've become my aunt. W were you born in a barn? Close that door. How about this one? Are you, are you kids trying to cool the whole neighborhood? You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, oh, my Lord. I'm old. All right? Every time I see a kid squealing his tires, I'm like, yeah, that kid don't buy his tires yet. You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, so I get <laughs> Yeah, somebody back there is a tire squealer. You can tell right now. All right, yeah. Because once you start buying tires, you want them to last as long as you can. Amen. I'm, I'm putting gas in the lawnmower and some. I'm like, oh, man, I spilled gas. That's like, that's like, all right. I'm telling you, my wife will drive all the way to Missouri to save three cents on a gallon of gas. All right. You know what I'm talking about? I spend $3 to save two, but I feel good about it because it's, you know what I'm talking about? We were down in Arkansas. Gas was, hey, listen to this, $1.49 a gallon down there. I'm thinking seriously about driving back down there to get my gas next week. All right. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? How do, you, how do you live? We've got bills to pay. Is all of that evil? Is trying to have more bad? Everybody say no. That's not, the, that's not the deal. It's the spirit in it. What's first in your life? What's first? If it's all things, if it's all image, if it's all that, then you've missed the point. If you hear this voice that says, if I had the right home and the right credit cards or the right car or the right clothes, I'd be accepted by the right people. That's mammon talking. If you have this voice that says, if you had more money, people would listen to you. That's mammon talking. If you had more money, it would solve all your problems. That's mammon. If you just had more money, your marriage would be better. That is mammon talking. Jesus never told anyone that the answer to their problem was more money. Well, listen... I know why you're sick. You don't have enough money. You're a leper because you can't afford a good doctor. Go get a job, dude. No. He never told anybody that. He did, however, tell one man, go and give everything you have away. And then come follow me and you'll have eternal life. Is that the rule for all of us? You're supposed to give everything away? No. The deal for that guy is that money was his God. And the only way that he could ever get to know God was to get money out of the way. That's our choice today as well. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he'll take care of all that stuff for you. How about this? You know, if I had more money, I could help more people. I want you to know that God, he doesn't need more people with more money. He needs more people with more obedience. Amen. Amen. Most of my problems could be solved if I had more money. No. So let me finish real quickly with this. Is money evil? No, it's not. It's a tool. 
unrighteous mammon that the scripture talks about is money that has been given over to the spirit of mammon, where money becomes the thing. But money can be used for both unrighteous as well as righteous purposes. You saw a while ago, Wakilia, that was the lady, sort of my adopted daughter, that's, that's Pastor Julio Valdez's daughter, 21 years now we've been going to Panama, she's like part of our family. But there are 350 kids in the schools down there. And, and we support most of them. You sponsor kids. And if those kids are going to eat, somebody's got to buy rice. Amen? Kirk and Yvonne Jones are on that video. They're missionaries in Panama, spreading the gospel in Panama. If they're going to be missionaries in Panama, there got to be some people who have some money to support them. Say amen. If we're going to turn the lights on in this place, if you're going to have a ministerial staff, if we're going to continue to do what we're doing here, have musicians and do all those things, somebody's got to have money to give. Amen? So money's not all evil, so what's the deal? The deal is putting God first in it. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your treasure today? Takes money to win the world. Matthew 25, Jesus does this division of the house where he talks about sheep and goats. And the real division was where he said, look, when I was in prison, you visited me. And when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I didn't have clothes on, I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was hungry, you fed me. Here's my, here's my question for you. If you're going to go to the prison and visit, you got to be able to get there. And if you're going to clothe somebody, you got to have some money to buy some clothes. And if you're going to provide food, you got to buy food. And if you're going to put shoes on kids, somebody's got to pay for those shoes. Amen. So the question is not whether or not money can be righteous or unrighteous. The real question is, who's first in your life? Because if money's first, then that's mammon. So put God first. Make money righteous by putting God first in it. Money is a battle. Why does Satan so? Why is it that anytime a preacher says, today I want to talk to you about money, everybody goes, oh my goodness. Maybe. If you're a guest here, I don't know. Not even once a year do I talk about money. And I don't even, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm just not that guy. I'm not motivated by it. I, I'm not moved by lots of money. Why is it a battle then? It's a battle because God turns the money that we give into souls for eternity. And Satan wants to stop that. So what should you do with your money? Finally, be a good steward with it. You say, but I don't have much to be a steward over. I don't have any money. I, I don't have anything. Listen to what Luke chapter 16, let me say it again to you. I read it a moment ago, but beginning in verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least, unjust is just another word for unfaithful, is unjust or unfaithful in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Let me leave you with just a fact and a couple of stories. The last time I looked this up, people in the United States of America live on 120% of their income annually. They live 20% above their means every year. All right, so I'm, I'm not a smart man, but do the math. That means in five years' time, 
you're going to have amassed an amount of debt equal to a full year's salary. You can't sustain that. All of that for the pursuit of stuff. I want more stuff. And then, then there comes a moment, watch this, where a little boy, Ethan Clark, is sitting in a swing and talking about putting shoes on kids. I cannot encourage you strongly enough to participate in that shoe offering. We didn't take up an offering like we normally would. There's a box in the back. Probably one of the most powerful outreaches we do here in our community, Abundant Life, is when we go and we buy the shoes for these kids. We, we don't pick the kids. The schools do. The school nurse and the social workers send to us the kids that need it the most. And they bust them from all over the county, literally all over the region, far away as Greenville. School nurses pick kids who, who literally come from families where they can't buy them shoes. And every year, we take the shoes off of kids that we put on them the year before. They've wore the same shoes all year. It is just one of the favorite things we do in December, the weeks that we go to the shoes. Some, how many of you have ever been there with us? A lot of you come and, and put shoes on kids. Isn't it just the best thing ever? And the kids are just... I can't tell you how many times I've stood with a little kid and they've been very reticent to pick out shoes. And I'll go, come on, sweetie, come on, bub, what's, what's up? And I've had more than once I had a little kid lean over to me and say, I don't, I don't have any money to buy these shoes. And then I go, hey, dude, you don't need any money. We're going to pay for these shoes. And then they're like, oh, I want to get these then. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I, I want them light up ones then if you're... All right? And here's the deal, though. If you've been, if mammon's been ruling your life, you can't do that. You can't participate. When the Spirit of the Lord speaks it, and you feel that tug and that, and that tenderness, and you want to put shoes on kids, then you can't. Because you're in debt up to your eyeballs. And I've been there. I get it. There's something better. Here's what I've learned in 37 years of marriage. And you don't have to believe me. 90% goes further than 100. You're like, dude, you're from Arkansas. You can't add for nothing. I am from Arkansas. It, it doesn't make sense at all. For 37 years, we have given the first 10% to the Lord. Always? Always. And the 90% secured by the Lord buys more stuff than the 100% without the Lord in it. Now, here's my challenge to you. Don't give it here. If you don't believe me, try it and don't do it here. You say, oh, what are you talking about? Because people think this is a, they think that I'm just trying to get your money. No. I'm trying to get you to live the life that God can bless. So send it somewhere else. Take three months. Set aside 10% first. Before you pay anything else, take, you say, 
We can't. We, uh, hyperventilate for a minute and then calm down. And send that 10% to somebody in need. Send it to your brother-in-law. Send it to Heartland Baptist. Send it to the Lutheran Children's Home if there is one. I don't know. Send it. Don't give it here if you think this is what this is about. And then in 90 days, you come see me and tell me what happened. I believe through 37 years of experience that you do better in those 90 days than you did when you were keeping the 100. Will that, will that cause big bags of money to fall out of heaven in your front yard? If it does, you call me. I'm on my way. I'll help you pick up some of them, all right? It's not instantaneous. It's not, I'm just telling you, things will begin to happen that didn't happen before. Things won't break. Things will break, and all of a sudden, it'll, you didn't think you had a, I didn't even think it was under warranty. I didn't even know I had a warranty. I'm just telling you, supernaturally, God will provide for you. I'll leave you with two stories this morning. Otis, come back, please. There's a guy named Letourneau. I think I got his name wrong in the first service. Turn of the century, he started a business. Some of you that have been by shipyards where they move the big containers, you've seen that name, Letourneau. It's often up on the equipment, the big cranes that move those deals. Somewhere not too long after the turn of the century, early 20s, 30s, somewhere in there, this gentleman started a business. And he came to know the Lord, and he heard somebody talk about giving. And he heard somebody say, you can't outgive God. And he said, well, I'll, I'll prove that guy wrong. So he started giving 10%. And then after a year, he upped it. He wanted to see where the break-even point was. And so year after year, he added another 10% to what he was giving away. He met needs, all kinds of needs as they came he supported the ministry, all of it Christian-oriented, and he just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. And eventually, he got to where he was giving 90 and keeping 10 only. And the 10 made him a billionaire because of the blessings of the Lord that just flowed out through him. In a great book, if you, if you, could, you can get it on Amazon, there's a great book called The Blessed Life. It's written by the pastor of Gateway Church. Any of you heard of Carrie Job? That's where she was the worship leader. Robert Morris is the pastor there. And years ago, he was an evangelist. He was a traveling evangelist. And in the book, in the month of July, he had, where normally he would try to book four Sundays, you know, you got to preach. In the month of July, he booked one. He only had one service. And so he was worried, Lord, how am I going to, I got three services with no service. How am I going to take care of my family? I think it was, it, I may not have the month right, but you can read the story in the book. He preached. Before he preached, there was a missionary that got up and did a five-minute window, talked about what they were doing. And then he preached, and the pastor came up at the end of his sermon and took up an offering for him. And after church, somebody counted it, and they wrote a check. And the pastor came up to Robert Morris and said, hey, here's the offering. And he opened it, and it was incredible. It was equal to what he would normally get in four weeks. He was just so, oh, oh, Lord, look at that. You have taken care. I just had one service, and we are covered for the month. And he heard the Lord in the back of his mind say, take that check and give that to the missionary. And he said, that's not God. <laughs> God just took care of my family. That ain't God. That's just, this is gonna, Mark, it's going to pay our bills for the month. And he just heard this little voice, give that to the missionary. 
He wrestled with it. And finally, he went up and got a pen, endorsed the check, and he walked up to the missionary and he said, Hey, listen, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing here. Don't you tell anybody, but I want you to have this. And I'm sure the first thought in his mind was, Oh, man, what am I going to tell my wife? And he gave that check away. The pastor asked him and his wife to go to lunch with him after church. They went out to a pizza place, and all the men were sitting on one of the table, all the women. They were just having fellowship, and there was this guy sitting across the table from him. And he leaned across, and he said, Hey, uh, he said, uh, how, how was he offering this morning? It was a guy that he'd only ever met one other time. Didn't know him, wasn't a friend, just knew who he was. And he said, Oh, man, it was a great offering, really good. He said, uh, how much was it? He said, well, it was just a lot. It was really good. He said, uh, where's the check? I want to see it. And Robert Morris, great man of faith and power that he is, he said, my wife's got it. <laughs> he, his wife didn't have it. Either. And the guy said, go get it. I want to see it. He said, oh, great. I've lied. Now I'm about to. So he gets up and he walks down to where his wife's sitting and he leans over to his wife and he says, Hey, uh, hey, sweetie, how's your pizza? Good, 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 all right. And he walks back down, he sits down, and he says, she said it's in the car. <laughs> yeah, come on, you know you're going to get, come on, God's on your trail, man. Just give it up. He said, that guy leaned across the table and he said, that check's not in the car, is it? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you gave the money to that missionary, didn't you? He said, that guy reached into his shirt pocket and he pulled out a check and he said, before I left for church this morning, the Lord told me to write this check out. It, he, in his book, he, he, Robert Moore says that the, the, the check that he got from the church wasn't an even amount. It was to the penny. It was weird dollars and weird, you know, it wasn't like $1,000. It was like $1,126.86, something, something like that. And he said the guy opened the check and held it up. And he said, before I left home this morning, the Lord told me to write this check. He said, I'm a business guy. He said, and the Lord told me to tell you that he's going to teach you about giving so that you can teach the body of Christ. He said, I looked at the check and to the penny, it was 10 times what I'd given the missionary. Now, it started Robert Morris on a journey. He said, not long after that, we were, we were doing this meeting, and I had this, I had this van. And it was an old beat-up van in the book. He says, I anointed it with like a quarter of an oil, quarter of oil a week. A little ready thing. He said, I preached this. He said, I preached in this. No, it was a station wagon. He said, I preached in this church and this pastor took us out to eat and he took us to eat in this beautiful brand new van and he said when we got done he said we pulled up to his house and he said hey man would you help me get some stuff out of my van and he said yeah he said there's an umbrella in there would you carry that in he said yeah carry it in he said and get get those tapes too yeah i'm carrying it in and he said and there, there's some there's some um you know there's some jumper cables under there and he said man why you why are you taking all this stuff in? Why don't you leave your jumper cables in the van? And dude said, hey, dude, he said, the Lord told me to give you the van. I'd give you the jumper cables too. <laughs> all right? He said, he said, we started 
being a conduit for vehicles. He said the Lord would give us a vehicle, we'd give it away. He'd give us a vehicle, we'd give it away. We'd, find, we'd just constantly giving it away. He said one time, he said this guy called me and said, hey, look, I want to give somebody in the church a vehicle, but I don't want them to know it's from me. Can I give it to you? And you title it, and then you give it to them so they won't know who it comes from. People know you do this. And he said, sure, yeah, give it to me. He said, he gave me the car. We did the title. He said, the day I got the title in my name, the engine in the car blew. And I thought, now, Lord, how, you know, you, you could have had the engine blow before the guy gave me the car, or you could have had the engine blow after. Well, I mean, I ain't even driven this thing. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, look, he said, the guy giving the car didn't have the money to put an engine in it. And the guy that I'm having you give the car to didn't have the money to put an engine in it. But I gave you the money, and I had you have the car so you could put a new engine in it. Now, do you want me to give the money to somebody else? And He said, no, Lord, I'm good. I'll put an engine in that car right now. All right? The point is this. Try the Lord. There's only one place I know in all the Bible where the Lord says, test me and see. Test me and see. And you don't have to give it here. I don't work on a percentage. My pay doesn't go up if the giving does. This is about you and your family. Test the Lord and see. Become a tither. Do it for three months. And then come tell me what happens. Because I'm absolutely convinced that the Lord will, just like that, test me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and bless you in ways you cannot contain. Father, this morning... I pray, Lord, that you would break the spirit of mammon in each of our family's lives. Set them free, Lord. Set them free. We've got young couples here, Lord. Let them begin now. They don't have a lot of money. Let them begin now, Lord, being faithful, putting you first. Lord, I have been blessed again and again and again. I believe it's because we've always put you first. Break the spirit of mammon in this place and let people know that your faithfulness is great. Would you stand with me this morning, Father? We commit our way to you. Show your faithfulness. Faithfulness from the rising. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise One more time. Great. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to